Today's podcast is brought to you by Blue Canary. The bird has landed on beautiful Bainbridge Island, conveniently located at 499 Madison Avenue. ASE Master Technician Clint Ramsey brings over 15 years of experience, award-winning diagnostic skill, and a desire to reinvent the automotive repair experience. Schedule an appointment online at bluecanary.biz or call them today at 206-451-4220. GreatNorthernElectric.com Serving our Bainbridge and Kitsap neighbors with solutions for anything electrical in your home. 206-842-3620. This segment of the Bystander Podcast is brought to you by Eagle Harbor Insurance. We don't sell insurance, we help people buy it. This has always been their motto and continues. They understand every family has different insurance needs, be it coverage or premiums. No two cases are the same, and they will always do their best to guide you into the proper coverage to fit your budget. They are here to help anytime. Give them a call at 206-842-7410 or contact them online at eagleharborinsurance.com. Are you a service member thinking about buying or selling your home? Whether you're active duty, a veteran, or a family member, you need a real estate professional who understands the unique challenges of the military. A Navy veteran, certified military relocation professional, prior Blue Angel, and CEO of the Repoint Real Estate Group at Keller Williams Realty Puget Sound, Scott Lever specializes in helping military families relocate to and from the Kitsap Peninsula. Call him today at 206-486-4891 or visit online at repoint.com. I got something for your mind, body, and soul. Okay, welcome Podcastville. Today's guest is Neil Johansson. How are you doing today, Neil? Uh, I'm doing well. Um, our skies have gotten a little cooler, which makes it easier to work inside. Yes, <laughs> make those stews. That's what's next for me, at least. Um, you have a gallery showing at the BPA this Friday, 6 to 8. Um, I brought you in here hoping to learn a little bit more about why your art stands out. It definitely is beautiful, colorful, and I know a little bit about your background why don't you tell the people why your art is so special? Well, I'll let you use the term so special. Uh, 
I guess I view what I do as being a little bit different because of, you know, uh, degrees in natural history, uh, wildlife, forestry. Uh, but I've been an artist since I was in high school. And um, one of the, the major things in in my career was to – in managing big park systems was to interpret natural history. It's it's really one of the lessons of whether it's a National Park Service ranger, state park ranger, the fire – you know, the campfire talks, the, the guided nature trails, basically interpreting nature, trying to make it more realistic, tying it to our own personal experiences. And uh, so I came out of a – an education process, graduated from the National Park Service Ranger Academy at Grand Canyon, but on the side, I've always been an artist. And so with this emphasis on interpreting nature, interpreting natural history, to me, I sculpt, I paint, I carve, I even do fabric art. And uh, so <clears throat> I've taken basically a pretty solid science background and converted it into doing nature art. And some of it is pretty whimsical. Some of it is pretty colorful, almost what a person would call uh, abstract. But some of it's pretty realistic. And so I would say that my art is often different because you can tell what it is, usually tell what it is. Uh, but it is translated through bright color. Uh, I often do what would be called bas-relief in which I have a carving that is actually on top of the painting and maybe two carvings on top of the painting uh, or I'll paint a woodland and have tree limbs hanging in front of the painting uh, with fall color leaves. Uh, and so basically my translation is often three-dimensional. Nature is three-dimensional. And uh, so often if it involves a three-dimensional subject, what you will see on the wall for me is also three-dimensional. Now, when you, did, when you were working in um, your specific field and out there in uh, California and Alaska, what kind of beautiful things were just really difficult to capture as an artist? Uh, one of the toughest things always for me is moving water. Um, often that becomes more abstract. Uh, I'm not the kind of artist who likes to work in a studio for days and days on a painting. Um, I like to sort of get those mental snapshots. I certainly use photography. Uh, and then I try to translate that onto a canvas or a piece of carved wood. Um, and again, often combining those. Um, the painting that's being used to advertise the um, Bainbridge Performing Arts uh, Gallery show uh, – uh, opening this coming Friday, uh, basically is a it's a carving of a puffin flying in front of a big ocean wave out at Cape Flattery, and it's all three dimensional, and uh, it looks like the bird's going to pop right out of the painting and fly through the room. Hey, he looks and, like he's happy. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen the painting? I have. Yeah. So that's a probably a, a good strong example of of what I try to do. Um, I at times. Uh, having three degrees in the sciences, natural history, um, feel like it, there has been some advantage uh, to me uh, by not studying art formally. I've taken lots of workshops and whatever. But uh, it gives me a chance 
to experiment with art materials that are not necessarily taught in a classroom. Um, you know, I'll go out and find a piece of madrone on the ground and I'll carve it and I'll put it on top of uh, a, a piece of painted marine plywood and then maybe carve a bird that's sitting on top of the branch. But then in the end, uh, it may be very whimsical, colorful, abstract in the end. And so I do my own translation, but uh, I, I'm really kind of a three-dimensional guy. I thought madrona wood was really difficult to carve. Is that it's wrong? It's no harder to carve than a piece of iron. Um, <laughs> I Yeah, I – Sometimes the things that are hardest to work with uh, uh, slow you down um, and I think that uh, slowing up a little bit is part of what art can be around. I mean I do basically I, – I produce art mostly for me. Uh, I do it for fun. Um, but you know, I think that uh, part of my life has been to leave tangible things behind. Our lives are very short um, and part of what I have always had some sense of leaving behind are parks. I've been involved – I've been fortunate to be involved in the creation of about 50 state parks on the West Coast. That's a tangible asset and uh, doing paintings and sculpting, tangible assets that are left behind. And that may exist because I have a real – I've always had a really strong sense that life is very fast and it's very brief. And however we translate it, probably not a lot of people are going to do exactly what we do. That's very well said. Living in California and Alaska, what made you put down roots here? Well <clears> – <throat> And how does it compare in Yeah, I, I lived uh, uh, years of my life. Uh, in California, I spent 25 years in Alaska. And uh, when it was time for my wife and I to look at life at a little bit different speed, retirement is not a word either one of us have ever used. Um, we basically were having these uh, friendly debates <clears throat> in Alaska about where to go. We were both a little bit wintered out. We were sort of refugees of the winter. <clears throat> we had uh, you know the ice, the snow, the darkness. Um, but California as a place for me to return to was a little bit disagreeable because there are so many people. The growth is so fast. Um, just it wasn't the, the clogged freeways and even the natural areas that I love are pretty busy. Um, we ended up on Bainbridge Island uh, because it was halfway between – uh, Anchorage, Alaska, and uh, the place I really originally wanted to retire to, which was the Point Reyes Peninsula National Park area north of San Francisco. And so we drew a line from Anchorage to Point Reyes, and halfway there was a place called Bainbridge Island. Um, and then my wife discovered that she has deep roots on the island. Uh, she has great great grandparents that are buried here. Her grandmother was a school teacher here. Um, so she discovered after after we moved here that she had these really deep roots on the island. Um, and uh, Bainbridge has just enough of that bucolic quality uh, close to the big city but some distance. Uh, you know, we refer to Puget Sound as our moat. Uh, you know, Bainbridge is our island and where we live. Uh, we've certainly struggled a bit with the speed of growth and new development on the island. Um, 
and we've been involved with trying to protect areas. Both my wife and I have served on the on the board of the land trust. Um, so you know we've paid some dues to try to keep the 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 best of the last saved, save the best of the last. Yeah, land trust last was, of the best. Yeah, land trust was just in here last week and. Pretty fascinating story, the 30 years of the history of the yeah. land trust and how yeah. much land has been obtained since that uh, first go-around. Yeah, yeah. When you, when you walk around Bainbridge Island in nature, what's some of the, your favorite places on the island to just be mindful and visit and take in? Well, a lot of the places that others would probably like as well. Um, I like uh, Fay Bainbridge, uh, Fort Ward. Uh, there's a lot of great trails in, uh, above Blakely Harbor. Blakely Park is a place I go to quite a bit. Um, we, uh, my wife and I have probably hiked most of the miles of the trails on the island. And, uh, you know, tying that back to art, one of the things that I think is really important um, for artists I, – I, a quick interruption. I – my wife was just in Bali, and she came back and said there's no word for artist in Bali because everybody is considered to be an artist, everybody. A 90-year-old woman who puts a flower in a vase and puts it on her doorstep in the morning has just created a, a work of art. And uh, But one of the things that I think uh, is really important is observing. Uh, to me, one of the most important things of all in, in doing art is to first and foremost to be observant uh, because I'm, an, I'm a nature painter and uh, I just find colors and leaves in the shape of a stone, uh, the sunlight flashing off of, a, of the dawn on Blakely Harbor, waters. Uh, I just find that there's so much around here uh, that it, it really can be translated and interpreted into art. In fact, I find that a lot of – most all the art actually that I see produced on the island in, in some ways has that focus on, on our natural world. What's your favorite medium? Um, acrylics and wood. Acrylics on wood. Um, you know, I invite people to see the show at uh, BPA Friday night, uh, art opening. Um, it's rare that I use a canvas – that I, I, if I do, I usually stretch it myself. Uh, I like to use uh, hardwoods. I like to use um, really good quality marine plywood. Uh, I seal it and gesso it. Uh, so I, I sort of like the hard surface to work on more than a flexible piece of linen or cotton canvas. Um, not that I don't use that, but uh, often I prefer to create and to paint and to shape things out of a hard object. You said the word Would, gesso? Not, gesso, yeah. Not it's, familiar with that? Well, it's a, it's a sealant uh, that is applied to canvas or wood to seal it uh, before you apply oils or acrylic paint. And uh, basically it's a sealant. And why do you want to stretch your own canvas, canvases? What's the advantage to that? Um, I can stretch it in ways and dimensions that are not readily Typical. commercially available. Uh -huh. um, I, when I do rarely take a piece into a framer to frame it, usually they go a little crazy because uh, there's carved pieces on top of it and it's not a, uh, a, a generally uh, – the, the dimensions 
that you would find on, on commercial frames. They, everything has to be done from scratch when I bring something in. I've seen winces when I come back in the door with something that's carved out of wood and maybe it's got some leaves or feathers glued into it. Um, just, uh, you know, I often work with what nature provides. I guess some artists call them found objects, but. When was the first time you sold a piece? Uh, I was selling art fairly regularly in Alaska. When I retired as Alaska State Park Director, uh, I moved my family to New Zealand. And, Beautiful uh, place. I ha- we lived in Christchurch. Um, and um, I had a gallery representing me. The, I had a gallery back in Seattle who was representing me. So when I retired as State Park Director in Alaska, I, I basically started selling a lot of art. And also in the last year or year and a half, I've started to do art for public purposes. Um, I uh, there there's a big painting of an orca whale at uh, the VPA right now. It's almost a six foot long painting of a killer whale, an orca, and um, that painting has now been acquired by the Port Townsend Marine Science Center for permanent exhibit with their uh, orca skeleton. Uh, they're one of the few places that has a really 100% orca skeleton on exhibit. And so the painting I did of an orca is now going to be hung beside that. Uh, and, you know, it'll be a piece of public art forever. Um, I uh, last year did a piece of art that's now on permanent exhibit at the John Steinbeck uh, uh, National Historic Site uh, near Monterey. Um, I've got another piece of public art that <clears throat> the University of Washington has acquired for their fishery science program. Um, so increasingly, I'm doing art for public purposes. And uh, I find that that, in a way, is more gratifying to me. I mean, I love it when somebody buys a painting and they put it over their fireplace or whatever it might be. I've sold probably close to 100 paintings in the last 10 years. Uh, but there's something that's more special about having it in a public place and you can go back and there it is hanging in a visitor center with your name on it. Um, and, you know, some of that sort of falls back into the the tangible remains that we as people either can or might not or leave behind when we're gone. And uh, so I like the idea of having some pieces of art in public public places. Now, you – from what I've seen, you have a lot of fish paintings that I've seen. Um, do you have an attachment to the fish? Do you have an opinion about what's going on in the ocean and and the fishery situation, especially around here? I would say that uh, <clears throat> I've done a lot of fish. I've done a lot of birds. I've done forest pieces. Uh, it's you know, I I would say that probably what drives me most in that direction is just a, a love of nature, love of natural history. Um, we live in an area where, you know, the salmon is kind of iconic. Uh, I've done the piece that the University of Washington, a piece of art that I did uh, is a Copper River sockeye, Copper River Red, but it's made out of some old weathered copper I found washed up on a beach on the British Columbia coast. It was very old pieces of copper and found uh, item and found item there it was on an old piling and so i took that back and shaped it into about a three-foot painting uh work uh out of this old copper that the university of washington fishery school has on exhibit 
Very so, cool. You know, I would say generally, though, my direction is just shaped by a love of nature. Uh, I've spent most all of my working life trying to protect nature, interpret nature. I've built visitor centers and museums and stuff in my career. Uh, basically, this is just a continuation of my interpreting nature. You've worked with historical sites as well, right? I have. Maintained them. Have you painted some as well or uh, made any art in that realm? I have done limited number of pieces. Uh, I just inherited a 100-year-old door off of a Bainbridge barn. The building had fallen in. and uh, But I decided that this big old gate off the front of this barn, it's 100 years old, these old hinges and stuff on it. I want to do something with that. But it will be translated into, um, you know, what I produce. The, uh, the, the, uh, the piece of art at the Steinbeck Museum down near Monterey is actually made out of an old fishing boat called the Western Flyer. Uh, that was the boat from the Sea of Cortez uh, uh, journey. And uh, so they gave me chunks of the boat that uh, old, old wood, 100-year-old wood, and I made a copy of the boat out of this old wood uh, from the boat that was used in the Sea of Cortez voyage. And that's the boat, um, oh, for lack of a better word, a plaque? And then the no, it's a big shaped – yeah, it's a carved boat on a plaque. Uh, and uh, but it's. Uh, Do you recall what kind of wood that was? Uh, Douglas fir. It was uh, the 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 original boat uh, was built in Tacoma in 1904 out of Douglas fir. So the wood I used is way over 100 years old, uh, but was used in an old fishing boat that uh, did the last of its work at sea in Alaska. And uh, and then it sank down here in the Puget Sound area. Somebody recovered it, and they're restoring the boat. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I probably rarely do something that is related to human – you know, there's – to me, there's human history and there's natural history, and I have a big lean towards the natural history part. Um, I don't really paint or sculpt people, although I do have a sculpted person uh, at the show right now. I don't whether you saw the, the the hindquarters of a of a guy with his hand out, his head is in a cloud, and he's catching the last drop of rain with a red background, and I call that drought of action, which is my obligatory climate change piece. Wow. And um, How many pieces do you have? You, you hung the show today, late, right? Well, late, late yesterday? Late, yeah, late yesterday. Um, well, I've, I've split it with a friend. I should mention this. Uh, uh, Charlie Sharp on the island. Uh, we each have about 13 or 14 pieces up. Uh, and and uh, again, Friday, first Friday, it opens. And yeah. Tell me how, from an artist... You do all this work of hanging the show, painting the pictures, sculpting. Um, how does the money work out for that? Do you get to go put your stuff up somewhere and then if something is sold, you, you have agreed on a predetermined percentage for BPA or something like that? Or do you well, have to pay up front rent space? It's uh, just – well, they – this is the second show I've had at BPA. Um you had one just last a, summer, right? Yeah, just a year ago I had a show there uh, that was tied into their play, The Big Fish. And so I did a certain orientation on fish for the, the play that they were staging. And uh, this time 
uh, we're not tying it to anything uh, except for the title of our show is called Earth and the Great Weather. The title of the show is Earth and the Great Weather. Um, and uh, uh, well, I'm sorry. What? We're asking about the commissions and oh, the commission. Um, well, in this in this front. last the show I had a year ago at BPA sold pretty well. Uh, I gave half of the proceeds to BPA wow. as a gift, and this time uh, the thirteen or fourteen paintings I have up, uh, all of the sales price is a gift to BPA. And uh, so good on you, Neil. Uh, yeah, I. Uh, I mean, I'm not a rich guy. But uh, my wife is always pestering me not to have 100 paintings stored all over the house and under the beds and in the closets. Uh, and so um, BPA is a great organization. That I, I, I know a lot of the island supports them. Uh, but my support this time is to uh, the sum, the cost of the paintings is a 100 percent donation uh, tax relief donation to BPA. So if you buy one of the paintings, don't come looking for me. Just give the money to BPA. <laughs> and I think you're rich in, in many other ways besides uh, the dollar. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a, it's all a donation, and I'm happy to do it. And uh, I hope I hope it sells well. And uh, if you buy one of my paintings, I hope you do. All the money goes to the to BPA. What are some of your uh, influences and favorite artists? Oh boy, um, Robert Bateman certainly is there. The Canadian Group of Seven uh, were very remain very influential to me. Tell me about those guys. Um, well, okay. the Canadian Group of Seven is not all that well known in the U.S. It was seven uh, basically nature painting landscape uh, painters, and uh, but uh, very impressionistic. Uh, it doesn't look like it doesn't look like they're trying to copy any of the famous Im impressionists. Uh, you know, you, they can do a beautiful painting of wa wildflowers in a lake, but it doesn't have anything. To, it doesn't look like Monet uh, as an example. They certainly studied a lot of the impressive um, impressionists, and you can see their translation. I use the word translation again, and their interpretation. Of that, but it's just different. And uh, uh, Thompson and Rollins and the members of the group of seven, um, they produce their own work. And uh, I, I've always been very impressed uh, with their work and have uh, traveled in Canada to see shows of their paintings. And um, so, you know, I, I, I look for inspiration everywhere. Um, I was at the Cascade. Art Museum in Edmonds uh, uh, just uh, two days ago, uh, enjoying their show. So I try to get out and look at other material, and um, you know, anything that I do that bears any resemblance to it, though the it, it's different. All right. Um, do you have ships and and ocean scenes and stuff like that as well? Um, well. I do. Uh, I'm not really sure I have much of that in the current show. Um, when I was 25 years old in Alaska, I built a 30-foot sailboat and continued to do art all the while. Um, and uh, But I built a 30-foot sailboat in Alaska when I was in my 20s and uh, sailed much of the coastline of Alaska and wrote a book about that experience, which was published and has gone out of print. 
Um, but being on the sea, uh, uh, I've owned four ocean-capable sailboats, offshore cruising sailboats, uh, certainly has had a big impact on me. But it, often it comes down maybe to more translation with clouds and the surface of the water, uh, islands, uh, you know, landscapes, big headlands with trees out there in the storm because uh, almost all my ocean sailing was done in Alaskan waters. And often aboard the boat, I had my art supplies. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, so that was just more of observing what was around me and trying to translate it into uh, something that uh, gave me um, pleasure. You know, it's uh, why artists work, I think, is often mis understood. Uh, A lot of artists work simply because they get a lot of pleasure and satisfaction out of doing that. And it also keeps maybe as you get older, your your brain uh, sort of alive. And um, it can be a bit daunting at times uh, if you have an idea for something and you can see it, but you can't create what you feel and see. I've always had a bit of a, a slugfest with art, and it could be because of too much studying of sciences. But um, I've always—it's uh, always been a bit of a punching bag for me uh, creating art. I certainly have studied a lot of material. Uh, I'm self-taught, um, but uh, it can—it can be a bit of a challenge at times to create something that you have a vision for it, and that vision has come from an ocean storm. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe I, I've sailed across the Gulf of Alaska twice in the winter on small sailboats and got caught in blizzards and snowstorms. And I, I have tried, I've got some paintings at home to translate that, you know, big seas coming off the bow of a small sailboat and, and ice on the deck. Uh, I've tried to translate that. Uh, so that's what What's basically what I do is subject myself to things uh, and then I try to translate it with color and uh, shapes um, and occasionally it works. What art is hanging up in your house? Um, well, I've, I've got uh, a lot of paintings that are, that are other people's paintings. I, I have a lot of art uh, from the old days in Alaska. Um, Fred Mockettant's oils, uh, Theodore Roosevelt Lambert, uh, um, uh, Sidney Lawrence. Uh, I've got a lot of the old classic Alaska painters in my house. Um, and I, I've got one really whimsical piece uh, that was done by a native artist uh, that uh, I love. It, it's just such a ball of color. You can't hardly tell what it is, but it's in sea otter. And uh, I, uh, so I have, I have a lot of art by others in my house. I love Some it. of my paintings are up. I would hope so. Do, yeah. Do you have a painting of your own that you would never part with? Uh, no. You don't have that one special that meant something I've to sold, you at some I've period sold, of time? Uh, I think in the last eight years, I've sold about 50 paintings. And uh, I have a tendency when I finish something to move on. In fact, uh, at times a good uh, my wife gets critical of me because I work so hard on something and put some serious effort into it and it works out, let's say, pretty well. Um, let others translate what that could mean. Uh, but then it's gone. Somebody else has it. Um, 
And uh, do I miss it? No, I don't even think about it. Once it's sort of behind me, you know, it's sort of like uh, Sid Hartha, you step into the river and you take your foot out, you can never step in the same river again. And uh, so that's how I sort of view art is uh, I put lots of time and effort into it, but when it's gone, uh, I say lovey. Yeah, it's it's not there. It's gone. And there's so many other things I want to do. That's what's that's what's there now is what I haven't done. What I have done that's behind me someplace. But what I the idea I have today that I want to work on tomorrow, that's what I think about. What is your process to start a painting and what does that look like? Uh lots of sketches, um maybe uh some field sketches done with color. Um, I would say looking for inspiration uh, wherever I can find it. Um, you know, I I just came back from two weeks camped out in northern British Columbia, and uh, there were a couple nights in which I had a fire, in which I was trying to see things in the fire, and uh, I had the sense that there were. Uh, creatures in the fire that I needed to get a rock and go in there and, and beat it so I could take it home with me. Uh, well, that's pretty tribal. Know, it, uh, so ser- searching for inspiration. I sometimes find it when I look at somebody else's art. Again, I ne- never to copy. But um, it's uh, books, uh I would say, you know, I went – I walked two miles this morning in the woods uh, and uh, was looking at, at colors and shapes and, you know, um, it's it's all around us. You know, it, it – everywhere I look, I see inspiration. Uh, so trying to uh, – tr- trying to almost reduce it to something that's possible uh, is part of my challenge. Um you know, I I did a piece last year. Uh, there's a, a a big a pier out by uh, um, Fay Bainbridge, uh, Fort Ward. Uh, pardon me. That always has all these cormorants on it, and uh, I I was out there and uh, watching cormorants dive off of that into the sunlight. The water was just flashing with sun, and the cormorant was diving. It was like the cormorant was diving into this light and disappearing. And uh, so I worked on that for probably a month before I got a piece that uh, worked out well, and it sold, and now I don't have access to it. So, Do you have a photograph of everything that you've ever done? Uh, pretty much. Pretty yeah. much. Yeah, getting, too many. <laughs> get nostalgic and start looking through that? Uh, I do. Um, and does that give you inspiration for something new while looking at something old? No. No. Uh, I mean, occasionally I try to do something again. And it almost invariably does not work. Yeah. Uh, you know, this cormorant diving, it was, you know, it's halfway underwater, halfway above the surface, but it's made carved out of wood and it's everything is just, it's painted uh, wood. Uh, and uh, it's going through this flash of sunlight right at the surface. And uh, I tried to do one similar to that and uh, it, it, it didn't work. Is there anything that's out there that's painted too much that people need to quit painting? Uh, like dogs playing poker on velvet? Well, painted too much. The, I, I have a little bit different response. Uh, the show that I uh, just put up yesterday at, at BPA, um, that show originally was going to be called Rain 
I think the Northwest is full of first good artists. There's a lot of yeah, good artists sure. on the island. There's just a lot of superior good artists in the Pacific Northwest, Seattle, of course. And um, I think that we don't paint rain. Wow. I, I think I most of the paintings you will see, you know, of the of the forest, of the old fishing boat, of the whatever it might be, it almost always is blue skies. Uh, I, I saw the same thing in the 25 years I lived in Alaska. Uh, you know, people were painting polar bears and moose and uh, walruses and, uh, you know, bald eagles, whatever. And, uh, you know, the Alaska weather can be a challenge. And uh, summer or winter, it's a challenge. But uh, you don't see a lot of blizzards, paintings uh, from Alaska. You don't see a, not a lot of artists around here paint rain. And uh, I would like to, at some point, get into doing a, sh a rain show. Maybe get a couple of other artists and to do a show, hang it in the winter, I guess. But to have a, a show of rain, we don't paint rain. All right, shout out there to you listeners. We're starting the rain challenge. Yeah, start so painting. I, we need Bainbridge Island needs to do an annual rain show. Sounds uh, good. Yeah. Well, Neil, um, thanks for coming in today and explaining a little bit about your process and your paintings. They're absolutely gorgeous. Um, I'm looking forward to going down to the BPA six to eight on Friday and check your whole exhibit out. I think everybody else should too as well. It's it's very well worth your time and good experience here on the island. Thank you much. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to Bainbridge Islanders. Neil Johansson, art.com. Check out some of his stuff online, and I look forward to seeing everybody Friday at the BPA 6 to 8. You've been listening to The Bystander. Be kind. Our podcast is brought to you by That's a Sum Pizza. Using a 120-year-old starter from the Klondike Gold Rush, they make unique sourdough crusts that can't be found anywhere else in the world. That's a Sum Pizza also delivers wine and beer. Call 206-842-2292. Order online at thatsasum.com or download That's a Sum Pizza app on Android and iOS. Congratulations to the team of Alan Raymond and Will Grant, who brought home the first place trophy from the recent Caputo Cup at the Pizza and Pasta Show in Atlantic City.